tension that all of us have felt, maybe feeling today. If not today, you will tomorrow or soon. This emotion that every man and woman will encounter in this journey called life. Often it comes not as a result of disobedience, but sometimes you could be in the very center of God's will and feel this way. Sometimes it comes as a result of disobedience. But this emotion is a friend to you. This is one that you will feel, you will experience, you will emote. This emotion is the emotion of feeling lonely, loneliness. You could be in this room today or be in the link or across the world watching by internet. You could be in a crowd of people sitting right in the midst of them and be as lonely as you've ever felt in your entire life. In fact, if you're feeling isolated, you're, you are not alone. The good news is that you and I have been created for community and hardwired for friendships. Loneliness grips every human being at some point or another. We have a response to that loneliness. And we're going to see today that even our creator God experienced that when he himself came in the form of a man, was incarnated on earth, and he walked on planet earth that God himself felt and experiences deep, deep loneliness. And we know that Jesus was in the center of God's will. In fact, lonely Americans have a third fewer close friends and confidants than years ago. A sign that tells us that we might be the loneliest group that's ever lived on planet earth. In fact, we live more isolated lives than we ever have. In the past, in 1995, the average American had three people to whom they would confide important matters to. It has progressed lower to where less than two confidants per person where you can say, it is a true friend that I can confide in. In fact, people who confide only in family have increased from 57% to 80%. And the number who depends solely on a spouse is up from 5% to 9%. If something would happen to your wife, if something would happen to your husband, you would find the safety net of that confidant gone. And so we live in a world where we are becoming more isolated as we progress. There's a lot of reasons for that. Time, working, even the homes we build now have two and three car garages that shut the door as you drive into them. Years ago, there were porches on the fronts of homes. Now, your porch is on the rear of your home called a deck where you get away from people. We live in a society that if we're not proactive, we are slowly pushing ourselves away from friendships that are meaningful and deep. A recent study showed that loneliness is not just making us sick, it is killing us. Loneliness is a serious health risk. Studies of elderly people and social isolation concluded that those without adequate social interaction were twice as likely to die prematurely. It can even impair immune functions and boost inflammation in our joints, which can lead to arthritis, type 2 diabetes, and even heart disease. 
Loneliness affects more than our souls. It affects the physical bodies which house the souls. And even worse than that, in some places, admitting that you're lonely is like putting the big L sign at the top of your head and calling yourself a loser. We are building a society that is constantly pushing people away, isolating ourselves in front of computers and smartphones, and slowly loneliness is becoming the common response of every single person on planet Earth. If you are feeling alone today, you are not alone in that feeling because many people feel alone. But the good news is this. There is hope offered to us who experience times of loneliness. There is a way to respond out of that so that we don't allow that emotion to engulf us and to dig our souls deeper and deeper. I want to give you an example. I think the best example of someone who was in the center of God's will, yet was very, very lonely. Grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4. And if you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Our ushers will be glad to put one in your hand. And if you don't own a Bible, take this Bible home with you. It's a gift from Grace Community Church. But turn to Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to read verses 14 to 16. Would you stand with me and we'll read it together. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Hebrews 4, verses 14 to 16. Let's read this together. Ready? Read. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You may have a seat. Right away we see this. He's been through it too. This passage indicates that not only in temptation has Christ experienced, and not only in his temptation, he was tempted just like we are, but to the nth degree. In other words, he took temptation to the fullest possible extent and percentage that it could be offered, yet he never succumbed to it. We bail out on a scale one to ten, often at one or two. He took the full extent of that temptation and said no to sin. He empathizes with temptation. In other words, it's more than sympathize. He can say, I felt what you felt. Also, Jesus walked on planet earth. And as he walked on planet earth and lived, he felt the same things that you and I feel. He felt lonely. He empathizes. Not only does he sympathize and feel for us, but he's felt what we felt. So what was his response? What did he do when he was tempted in every way? What did he do when he he felt lonely like we felt? What was his response? We do not have an unsympathetic God. Think about that statement for a second. He has been through everything that we have been through. He felt what you feel today. 
think for a second about that. If you're feeling alone today, guess what? Jesus is felt alone. Isn't it much, doesn't it bring you much more comfort when you can go to someone who's been through what you've been through? Like, I don't know what it's like to have a baby. I can sympathize for my wife, and I tried my very best, and I can sympathize for moms out there what it's like, but I can't empathize with you because this dude's not having a baby. It's impossible. But Jesus has felt what we felt. That's the difference between empathy and sympathy. He's empathized with us. Not only does he empathize, but he can sympathize with us. So we don't have a high priest who's disconnected. It's like, oh, Jesus, he doesn't have a clue what we're dealing with. Yes, he does. He was a human being on planet Earth for 33 years. Think about this for a second. He walked on planet Earth and he left his heavenly father. And only one time in scripture was there ever, ever a discourse, a verbal, audible information cry from his dad to his son. And it was at his baptism. And I'm sure God the Father could hardly wait. And the first words from his mouth when Jesus was baptized, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. It was like he was waiting to get it out. It's like, doesn't every father want to say to his son, I'm proud of you? Yet Jesus heard that one time in an audible way, 33 years of his life. He felt the separation of being away from a father. Then think about Matthew chapter 8 and verse 20. It says this, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of God has no place to lay his head. Jesus was homeless. Jesus didn't have a, a, a crib that he could go back to, sit on his couch and watch ESPN and invite people over for pizza. He didn't have a place to sleep. So day after day, he would go from city to city when he was in his ministry with no place to call home. He didn't have a mailbox that he went to and grabbed the daily mail. He met people along the way. He didn't have a place to lay his head. And sometimes it was in the middle of the desert. Sometimes it was in the edges of the city. Sometimes it was around the temple. So Jesus didn't have a place to lay his head. He knows what it's like to not have a home base. Plus, who could he really confide in? Now, seriously, wrap your mind around this. You know, I can confide in someone who's been through what I've been through. But Jesus, like, how could you go up to someone and, and, have, and say, you know, man, it's tough being perfect. How do, how do you, isn't it being hard being perfect? Like, I, I'm really struggling with never sinning. And, I mean, who do you talk to? I mean, who do you walk up to and say, hey, Bob, you're, you're my friend. Hey, Pete, John, and, and uh, come here a second. Here's what I'm feeling today. And they say, yeah, Jesus, we empathize with you. It's tough being perfect, isn't it? Like, he didn't have someone to go to. So not only did he experience temptation to the net, but he experienced something that was even deeper and higher and more intense than we did. We can have someone that we can go to who's walked through what we've walked through. And his name is Jesus. Yet he walked on planet Earth and really didn't have someone that could empathize with what he was dealing with. Did he really know how to relate or people relate to him? There was no place to lay his head, no mailing address. 
even in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus is ready to go to the cross. Turn to Matthew chapter 26. Just keep your finger in Hebrews. We don't have a Savior who is unable to empathize with us, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are. And so he understands not only temptation, but he knows what it's like to be lonely. Look at Matthew chapter 36. Look at this time in his life when real deep loneliness overwhelmed him. Look at Matthew 26 and verse 36. It says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and what? Pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, with him. And he began to be what? Sorrowful and what? So he began to feel sorrowful and troubled. And when we're sorrowful and troubled, we often want someone to help relieve and alleviate and support the pain. So here's the savior of the universe, feeling sorrowful and troubled. Look on with me. Then he said to them, my soul is what? Overwhelmed with what? Sorrow. To the point of what? Death. And he says this to his friends, stay here and keep watch for me. In other words, I don't know if I can make it. I need your support. I'm overwhelmed thinking about the cross. I'm overwhelmed thinking about what that's going to be like. And so he looks at his friends, his disciples, the inner 12 that marched everywhere and served with them. And he says, hey, all I'm asking you, would you just stay here and pray for me? I need support, please. Be my support system. Hold up my arms. I'm feeling weary. And not only weary, I'm feeling troubled. And not only troubled, I am overwhelmed thinking about it. So he asked his inner 12, pray for me. Look what happens after he asked them this very thing. Verse 39, going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. And so it's a very, very low time in Jesus' life. It says he fell to the ground with his hands to his face, basically saying, God, I'm alone. I'm troubled. I'm overwhelmed. Please visit me, God. Please, God, encourage me. Please, God, I need to know that you are here. Meanwhile, he's hoping that his disciples are lifting him up in prayer. Read on with me. Look what it says in verse 40. Then he returned to his disciples and found them what? Now, that's great support, isn't it? Hey, you got, I got your back covered. I, I got you covered. Oh, yeah, I'd pray for you. I, prayer's up. Yep. Come back, and they are out. Man, they, they are out. At the lowest point of Jesus' physical life, weary, troubled, overwhelmed, feeling lonely. Then it says this. He responds, couldn't you men keep watch with me? For one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation, he said to them. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Then it says this. He went away a what? Second time and prayed. My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. Weary, troubled, but accepting the will of God, knowing 
that the cross was before him. And Hebrews said, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So he's hoping that his friends, his disciples, have his back. In verse 43, when he came back, he again found them, what? Sleeping. Because their eyes were heavy. I want to say, oh, poor little guys. So he left them and went away once more. And prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of the sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. A moment in Jesus' life when he was the most troubled in Scripture, when he was the most sorrowful, when he was the most overwhelmed other than being on the cross itself, when he needed someone to support him, when he needed to know that someone was with him, when he needed to know that someone had his back, when he needed to know that someone had his six, when he needed someone, they weren't there, they were sleeping. It was a very, very lonely point for Jesus Christ. That's why he says this. Not only do I empathize and sympathize with you when you face temptation, I know what it's like to be lonely, even to the point of death itself. They were sleeping. You see, he knows what it's like to feel all alone. All of us have dealt with loneliness. None of us will ever have a point in our lives where we can say, I'll never deal with loneliness again. I've had many moments of loneliness where I felt like, and as a family, we felt like we were all alone. And often in the center of God's will, you can feel very lonely. I remember a time when we, were, we made the transition from, from Maryland to Indiana. And it was in our first winter. Isaiah was, or Josh was just little, and we were living in a home and. And things were tough, finances were tough and tight, and I wasn't trying to go through school and support my family. I was working as a carpenter, and I was doing God's will. For the, for, for, for the cross set before me, I felt a call of ministry, and so did Anne. And we picked up, and we left family, and we transplanted to the middle of Winona Lake. Family is, is nine, ten hours away. And I remember in the heat of the winter, just when everything was coming down upon us with school and studies and trying to work in the cold, and our house was cold, and, and we couldn't afford to pay the NIPSCO bill. Well, we had a wood stove, praise God. But wood was running low, and I remember thinking, God, I need wood. God, I need to get wood to keep my family warm. We slept by the wood stove. We had a mattress. It was the only warm room in the house, and we would wash our, our kids, and, and we would, they would sleep in a crib by the wood stove. And, and I remember driving home after building a home one day, and I'm, I'm setting out back in this stone driveway, and I'm thinking, the wood pile is low. And I'm thinking, God, I'm tired. I'm weary. I feel overwhelmed. God, I feel all alone. Lord, I need a visit from you. I need to know that you've never left us, nor have you forsaken us. And I remember sitting in the truck and just crying out to God and going into the home and looking at the wood pile and feeling weary, like I don't even have time to, to cut wood. And, but I cried out to God, very, very low, lonely time in our, in our lives. And I heard this knock at the back door. 
And this man standing at the back door introduced himself. And he says, hi, my name is Henry. I'm your neighbor that lives across the alley. He said, I noticed that you have smoke coming out of your chimney. You must heat your house with wood. I said, yes, we do. He says, you know what? He says, I work at Sun Rims in Warsaw. And he said, we're, we're privy to skids that have four by fours and, and four by fives of oak. He said, Would, could you use some wood if I just drove it to your house, dropped it off at your garage and left it there? <laughs> yes. And so all through that winter, all through that winter, this, this man faithfully, 13 truckloads of wood, Week after week, piled it up, and I got out my miter box, and I cut it into 18-inch pieces, and I stuffed my 12-foot garage with a 10-foot ceiling from concrete to rafters full. God visited me in that time. God came through, and there wasn't a night in that winter that we weren't cooking in the living room. God ministered to me and to my family. You see, the reason help came is because Jesus had been there. Jesus knew what it was like to be all alone in the center of God's will. Jesus knew that he could help. Jesus also wants us to cry out to him. He knew what it's like to feel isolated in the middle of Indiana doing what we were supposed to do. And he knows how you feel today in your situation and he wants to meet you at your lowest point too. So, if you're feeling alone, you're not alone in feeling that. Because the Savior of the universe has felt the same thing, and he empathizes and can sympathize with you. Why are people lonely? There are other reasons we're lonely. It's not always walking in the center of God's will. Sometimes we feel lonely at, because we feel rejected. So if you walk through a time of rejection, the most lonely people, psychologists will tell us, are those who were unsure of their parents' love. Now think about that, mom and dad. The most lonely adults, the most lonely children, people who deal with loneliness more than anybody on planet Earth are children who are unsure of their parents' love. Let me just say this. Don't dare go a day that you don't tell your children, I love you. Don't dare go a day that you don't embrace your child and hug them. Dads, don't dare go a day that you don't say, I'm proud of you. Listen, you're my son and I am well pleased. Moms, don't dare go a time without letting your daughter sit in your lap. Even when you're weary and tired, they want to know that you love them. Because if we don't, they will go the rest of their lives trying to fill that void that was meant to be filled at that time by a parent. Feeling rejection often leaves you lonely. Separation, moving to another location, leaving a school and going to a different school after the death of a loved one is another primary time when loneliness sets in. As I was processing this this past week, I remember as a fifth grader, Moving, we often moved as children. My parents rented homes. I, I think I lived in 11 different homes as a child. 
But I remember leaving one time in the fifth grade, moving from mid-school year into another school district and going to a different school. And I remember, I was thinking back, I can remember. Like, I remember riding the bus not knowing anybody. I remember going to this classroom in fifth grade at Morgansville Elementary. And I remember sitting in this classroom thinking, I feel alone. I don't know these people. I want my friends back. I want the ones that I, that, that I ran with on the playground. And a godly teacher in my former school understood separation understood what it meant to go and move to another school. And this godly fifth grade teacher had all my former classmates write me a letter. And on that following Wednesday of that week, my mom went to the mailbox when I came home feeling alone, and there were 30-plus letters from all my former students. See, we need community. And listen, sometimes God is speaking to us to step into someone's life and help them feel community too. Non-intimacy is another way that we feel lonely. And sometimes marriage partners who are not talking can feel very, very, very lonely. You go to bed and there's no intimacy. Day after day and week after week, you're 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 craving your husband to hold you. You're craving your wife to to take her fingers and stroke them through your hair. You're craving for that intimacy, and yet there's sin, or there's a proud spirit, or there's a bitter spirit, or there's resentment, and that very thing creates loneliness. Let me tell you what happens in that moment. That's when Satan comes in and gets a hold, and he begins to tear that apart. Singles often feel very lonely. Because of non-intimacy. Sin is another way that, that loneliness comes upon us. The root cause of most cases of loneliness is sin. Sin separates us from God. Maybe the loneliest time of your life is when you're walking and cherishing sin. A secret sin. You might be in this room today. Your wife doesn't know about your pornography addiction. Your husband doesn't know about your pornography addiction. Because, by the way, ladies, the rapid percentage of women be addicted to pornography is growing faster than it is for men. You might be in here today because of this familiar sin that no one knows about, and you feel distant from God. Sin separates us. Jesus is in touch with reality. And no matter where you're at today, Jesus can do for you what God did for him. Listen to me right now. To each one of you that feels alone, Jesus sees you and feels what you're feeling. And relief is coming if you cry out. Look what it says in Hebrews chapter 4. How do we do that? If we, have a, we don't have a God who's unable, how do we cry out to God? What should we do? Look at Hebrews chapter 4. Look at verse 16. Look what it says. And in light of having a, a high priest, a savior that can empathize with us, verse 16 says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with what? Confidence. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Listen to me. Don't be afraid to ask for his help. He is waiting like a father is. 
I can't tell you how many times, even as a father to my kids, I love when my kids say, Dad, can you help me? Dad, I love getting texts from my daughter in college. I love when she texts me and says, Dad, I have a question. She called me this week and she had a theology question. And it was like, this is awesome. I was talking to her and texting her. and She's asking me this question about what I thought about a literal seven-day creation. And so we're engaging. It's like, I'm so glad she's asking me. It did more for me than it did for her probably. Be ready at a moment's notice when your children cry out. Don't be afraid to ask for help. When you approach him with confidence, Hebrews says, he will be there for you. This is when you speak loudly his promises. So how do you do that? This is when you say, God, you tell me in scripture that you cannot lie. You tell me scripture says that you're immutable, that you can never change, that Hebrew says you're the same God yesterday, today, and forever. You tell me you cannot lie. And then you told me this, Jesus. Here it is. Just in case you forgot, I know you didn't, but I need to remind myself. You said you'll never leave me nor forsake me. And I feel pretty forsaken right now. So Jesus, I need a God sighting right now. I need to know that you're here. I'm feeling lonely. Jesus, you promised me that you would be close to the brokenhearted. God, I don't feel very, your closeness. Listen, you're good to your word. You see, it's the time we start speaking to ourselves instead of listening to ourselves. And all through the Bible, what does God say? I am with you. You see, in those moments when I was sitting in that driveway, I know all the theology. I had memorized scripture. I was a seminary student. I was studying to be the pastor of Grace Community Church and didn't know it. I was studying away, and in the midst of that moment, I pulled into that driveway, I felt this loneliness. And the word of God says, cry out to him, approach him confidently. And I remember saying, Lord, please show up. I didn't know his name was going to be Henry, but God showed up. (laughs) Do you think God's going to ignore you when you cry out like that? His promises are ammunition against Satan's lies. Would any dad or mom in this room... Seriously, if you're walking in harmony with the Spirit, would you ever say no to your kid if they're crying out? I'm telling you, I would climb Mount Everest to go and rescue my children. If they would say, Daddy, I need help. Daddy, I'm lonely. I would drive from here to Timbuktu and back. And so would God. You see, you can tell him, you promised to never leave me nor forsake me. God, I'm here at my house all alone. God, I'm in the midst of these people, yet I feel very empty. I am hurting. Rescue me right now. I remember another pretty profound time in my life, and I, you know, I, we face those often. Being a senior pastor, Grace, there's these times as a family, we feel very, very lonely. And I'm okay with that, being the center of God's will. It doesn't make us abnormal, it just makes us normal. And I know what you're supposed to do. You cry out to God and he sends Henry's to your house. So we need to approach him in confidence. But I remember a period in my life when I first went back to college and I had spent that summer and the girl that I was engaged to be married 
broke the engagement off. And, and so fast forward, I'm at Grace College and I'm at this basketball game and I'm setting the crowd, thousands of people. And there's an engagement that was taking place at halftime of this game. Everyone was celebrating, clapping, whistling. And I'm seated in the midst of these thousands of people. And I feel this stuff that's been suppressed for like four months. No, not now. I'm thinking, don't you dare come out. And it was working. I could see it. My face was turning red. And I was trying. And this spring and well of tears just came out of me. And I wanted to hide. In the midst of all these people, I felt hurt. I felt pain. I felt lonely. And I was praying, please, God, don't let anyone see me. I can be a pretty proud man like most dudes can be. But I remember in the midst of this saying, God, help me, God, help me. I wish I could crawl out of there. And as I'm seated there and everyone's cheering, I asked for help. And this arm reached down from behind me, stuck its hand on my shoulder and squeezed it. And I looked around me, and there was this beautiful blonde-haired girl by the name of Anne. (laughs) Who I later married. And in the midst of me feeling that, she reached down, and she was God's answer to help. She tells me later, and you can have her tell the story. She said, it was in that moment, Jim, that I saw something in you that I fell in love with. Emotion. And she said, I saw your pain and I felt your pain and I wanted to be a support to you. I remember not liking that moment initially. I didn't like her seeing me like that. (laughs) And I remember trying to say as best as I'm good, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay. But I was a sobbing mess. Isaiah 43 tells us that God is with us. He'll be with us through the storms, through the trials of our lives. When we approach him confidently, he pulls us in. But we have responsibility too. We're responsible when we feel lonely. And often there's some steps that we need to take. The first place to find healing from loneliness is God and not someone else. Because finding someone else is not a permanent solution to the emptiness of loneliness. Only Jesus can be the permanent solution to loneliness. You see, there's great danger in feeding loneliness with someone else's presence. Menrith and Meyer said it this way. Listen to this. This is very important. People who have constant bouts with loneliness often fall into overly dependent styles of life. And an overly dependent person becomes excessively distraught if he or she is rejected by someone. He clings to people, sucking up all their emotional energy. They even get to a point in relationships where they expect others to fulfill their needs for them. Then they make unreasonable demands, and this causes others to run from them. Then the dependent person finds himself back at square one, and usually the cycle continues endlessly. No human being can ever do for you what God can do for you. It's like we're algae eaters. It's like you're watching them in a tank. We're like suckers, and it's like 
They're coming. I'm trying to suck the life out of you so that I can have life. And what happens is you push these friendships away. And so you keep coming back. You keep going to the wrong source. Only one God can ultimately fill that void. You will never find it in a man. You will never find it in a woman completely. It will only be found in Jesus Christ. Secondly, we were made for community. So we must expose ourselves to community. God has created human beings to live in fellowship. So we should build healthy relationships. And when you build relationships, don't build them so you only get from them. Some of you are lonely. Some of you are depressed. The best thing you can do is serve and serve and serve others. Where's the one another's if you're not part of the one of another's? It's where relationships aren't full of control and manipulations. It's where they, your friends, are an extension of your relationship with God and not a replacement of. You must be proactive in your relationships to overcome loneliness. Thirdly, we should refocus our attention. Another helpful step to overcome loneliness is to serve someone else. Self-centeredness feeds loneliness and leads to depression. Now here. If you're constantly feeling jealousy when you see someone else being cared for and your response to seeing care by someone else is, no one has done that for me. If you're constantly saying these words, no one came to me, no one called me, no one served me, then here's what you do. You get proactive and serve someone else. And when you serve in community, you fill the body life of fellowship. People ask me, Pastor Jim, how to overcome this, this loneliness I feel? I hear it all the time. I tell them, show up. Show up to Sunday morning worship services. Show up. Even if you're feeling lonely, show up to prayer encounter. Show up in a small group. Show up in remarkable women. Show up in fight club. Show up in a blitz. Show up and volunteer. And when you show up, you meet God. See, if you pull away and poor me, why is anybody coming? Listen, there's responsibility. When we get proactive, we meet God. And when we meet God, he fills us up. Jesus did these very things to combat his loneliness. Think about it. How did he spend his entire life? Serving other people. Jesus, you, did you think Jesus took weeks off? Oh, poor me, come here, come that. No, he continually showed up and he continually encountered his God. The consequences of unchecked loneliness are pretty grim. Moral failure steps in. To get love or attention, lonely individuals would do things fulfilled people would never do. We see this guy and we think, oh, he'll fill my life. Or this girl, you know, she kind of goes to church, you know, like she's a CNE Christian, like Christmas and Easter. And maybe even baptism, she shows up. She comes, or he comes, but they say they know God, but you know that you know that you know there's not a deep relationship. Listen to me. You run from that person. Don't ever think that that person's going to fill you up. If you think it's in a person alone, you are on a slippery slope away from God. 
Financially, unchecked loneliness has impact on us. We can begin to buy toys. We begin to buy vacations. We begin to buy stuff, bigger houses. Oh, I hope this thing, I hope this new gadget, this newest phone, like I need the iPhone 20 right now. I know that would do better for me. It's like we keep stepping up thinking this will be it. This will fill the void. And debt piles up. Physically, we have the impact on our lives. You know what we do physically? We comfort ourselves with food. Food is my friend. I just love these ho-hos when no one's around at midnight. There I am. Oh, rise and roll. And you go and buy a dozen rise and rolls within saying, I'm going to take them to the workplace. Oh, you're a sloppy mess with six after you've eaten them that night. (laughs) There's no doubt that they are Amish crack. (laughs) We cannot let food comfort us. Relationally, they feel so detached that they can't reach out to others. Psychologically, loneliness will impact you. You may experience depression or lack creativity and productivity. You must. Listen to me. Please, listen to me. I battle back loneliness with being creative. I build. I make. I I create. I design. It pours something out of me and allows me to encounter a God who's the great designer of planet Earth. Worse yet, it could drive you to do these things. To drink away your sorrows and get drunk night after night after night after night, thinking that this alcohol taken to consumption where you are drunk will somehow drown away. You could end up abusing drugs to bury your pain. You could become a workaholic to fill the void of emptiness and also to buy more things. You could divert your attention with television or the internet and become this social Facebook and Twitter fanatic that all he does and she does is all day long just follow and scroll and post and comment day after day. Listen, You will never find intimate relationships that will fill you up looking at a screen alone. You'll have an affair thinking he or she can take away your pain. And sadly enough, some will even go so low as suicide, believing the lies of the enemy that you're better off dead than to be alive. Fourthly, we should identify any bitterness that makes us feel withdrawn and aloof. Listen to me. If you are still bitter, if you are still carrying resentment against someone or against God, you're in trouble. And what happens is you begin to lash out against other people who don't even have any reason why you feel that way. And because of loneliness, you've been hurt by someone. You don't take it to God. If you carry that bitterness, you are poisoning your own relationship and everyone around you, and you will totally be the only one left on the island. You must confess. You must repent. You must let it go. You see, God sees you right now. He knows your pain. He's experienced it, and he wants to deliver you. He wants to comfort you. He wants to send Henry or Anne to your workplace. He has walked where you're walking and he even empathizes with you. And he longs to give that same care 
that he received from Father God to you. Maybe it's possible that loneliness in the human heart is God's way of sharing with us the longing in his heart for people to return to him. Maybe he might be saying, don't keep looking for the perfect person to come into your life to take away the loneliness. Instead, turn to me. I'm pretty good at it. And maybe we might just say to God, thank you for sharing with us a piece of your heart by letting us know how you feel about people who have rejected you. Is that also bad that we experience what Christ experienced and we can have empathy for what our Savior went through too? Is that also bad? In your loneliness, you can find deeper meaning. And I have and you can too. Because we have a Savior who has empathized with us. Let him fill that void. Fire back the truths of his word. And I do it regularly. Jesus told me you'll never leave me nor forsake me. You told me that you are with me. And so when we fire back that truth and we're in community. And let me tell you, when I show up where God is at work, oh, is that an awesome experience because I get filled up with him and I no longer feel lonely. This is your family. Listen to me. You're feeling lonely today? Don't run from church. We are your brothers and sisters. Show up. Keep showing up. Come and support. Come and serve. Come and celebrate. And today is one of those days. You might have walked in today. Let me tell you, good job in showing up. Because today you get to celebrate with your brothers and sisters. And the joy of the Lord you will feel in this room. Because people are going public in baptism. And if you didn't show up, you could never have that void filled with the joy of the Lord. So here in a few seconds, we're going to baptize people. Your family, these will be your brothers and sisters. And by the way, this is your chance to allow that loneliness to be pushed away by the names of the individuals that you came to support. And when you support, you are supported. God, help us today. Help us experience the joy that comes when we gather together with the body of Christ. God, I pray that you would lift us up and may this place become a celebration of lives that say, I love Jesus and I'm celebrating with my family, Grace Community Church. In Jesus' name, amen.